Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Tuesday, August 4th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Recording today at the peak of the storm from Hurricane Isaias here in New York City. So if you hear any wind gusts or anything in the background, apologies. I would wait for it to pass, but uh, with how many trees have fallen down around my block, I'm not so confident I'm going to have power or internet later, so we're just going to power through. But today, cool armor-like technology that butterflies have on their wings to protect them from rain, how to use Slack without annoying all of your coworkers or being annoyed yourself, and what the 1918 pandemic anti-mask culture can teach us about our own mask debates today. Here are some cool things from the news today. If you are also in or near the path of Hurricane Isaias, you are probably being hit with some wicked rain and wind right now and taking care to make sure your home is protected if you can or getting totally pummeled by rain if you're able to and have to go out. Well, it's too bad you're not a butterfly. Apparently, butterfly wings are built like armor to protect them against heavy rain. A June study in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences analyzed how water-repellent properties on the butterfly's wings protect them against rain's impacts. Quoting Fizz.org, The research showed how microscale bumps combined with a nanoscale layer of wax shatter and spread these drops to protect fragile surfaces from physical damage and hypothermia risk. Previous studies have looked at water hitting insects and plants at low impacts and have noted the liquid's cleaning properties, but in nature, raindrops can fall at rates of up to 10 meters per second. So this research examined how raindrops falling at high speeds interact with super hydrophobic natural surfaces, end quote. Senior author Sungwon Young, associate professor of biological and environmental engineering in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, pointed out that raindrops are one of the biggest risks for butterflies. Getting hit by a raindrop for a butterfly is like getting hit by a bowling ball for a human. For the study, the researchers placed the insects, as well as samples of leaves and feathers, on a table and released droplets of water from two meters above. They recorded the experiment at several thousand frames per second so that they could watch back in ultra-slow-mo, at which time they discovered that when the water hit the surface, it rippled and spread on the nanoscale wax layer, while the microscale bumps created holes in the droplet. Quoting again, Consider the microbumps as needles, Young said. If one dropped a balloon onto these needles, he said, then this balloon would break into smaller pieces. So the same thing happens as the raindrop hits and spreads. End quote. Not only does this reduce the impact force, but it also lowers the heat transfer from the cold drop, which enables the insect's muscles to retain enough warmth to fly. And studies like this aren't just interesting to learn more about butterflies and feel at ease knowing that they're relatively okay during big storms like today's, but also these types of studies can inform consumer products. So-called biomimicry products in this field have already led to water-resistant sprays for clothes and shoes, as well as those de-icing coatings for airplanes. There is so much weird and cool stuff from animals and nature, so thinking about how we can adapt some of it for humans is extra fascinating to me. I saw the other day that someone had redesigned the umbrella to open and close upside down so that you theoretically don't get as much water all over you, but what if we can coat umbrellas with some of this nanoscale wax and micro bumps so that they repel water? I mean, that would be pretty cool. 
So if you are listening to this and you are someone who uses Slack or another similar service at work, I'm going to assume that you have perfect Slack etiquette, that you never annoy your coworkers, that you do everything considerately. But we all have those coworkers who could maybe use a little gentle nudge about some features or etiquette, perhaps, that they're unaware of. Again, not you. I'm sure that you are perfect. But, you know, maybe send this segment to a coworker who needs to hear it. Except to maybe skip this preamble when you do. Alright, so some tips for using Slack while maintaining a harmonious work environment. Most of these are pulled from Wired. The biggest thing is being cognizant of how many notifications other people are receiving. I think we can all agree notifications can be pretty irritating, they can be distracting from the task at hand, and while I'll cover some of the ways to reduce the amount that you're receiving, let's also talk about some of the ways to reduce the ones that you're causing. If you and one or two other coworkers are going off on a discussion or brainstorm that's not relevant or being participated in by everyone who's in the channel, take it to a thread. Just hover over the message that you want to use to start the thread and click reply as thread. Honestly, I wish group texts had this function. One thing to note is that threads don't automatically notify you about responses to them, so if you want that, you'll have to adjust it in your settings. Now, another way to cut down on the notifications that you are causing is to keep your entire message in one message. This is actually a huge pet peeve of mine, and Wired explains it pretty well. Quote, consider your direct messages more carefully. We have a tendency digitally to speak in a more clipped manner, says Elaine Swan, etiquette expert and founder of the Swan School of Protocol. Rather than sending five short messages back-to-back, take a moment, collect your thoughts, and say what you're going to say in one longer statement. It's easy to type as you think, but your recipient's phone is going to start dinging off the hook, which is really distracting. Try to treat those initial DMs a bit more like you would an email. And be patient for your response in case your coworker is busy. End quote. If you're both actively in a conversation in the moment, maybe shorter messages that hit more on the rhythm of naturally speaking works, but definitely not if the person you're messaging isn't even online. And try to avoid anything that would spike someone's anxiety, like a single, we need to talk, followed by so-and-so is typing for several minutes afterwards. And to help model this behavior, you can be more fastidious about your status. If you're in a meeting, out of the office, or otherwise not engaging with Slack, make your status update reflect that so your coworkers are aware. And on that note, especially if you're part of a larger company and maybe one that has only recently switched to remote work, it's helpful to company culture if you can fill out your profile with as much information as you feel comfortable. Details about your title, your department, your job role, contact info, pronouns, work hours, and a real photo of yourself to contextualize who you are, make you seem like a real person that people are talking to, and let them know how, what, and when to reach out to you. And on the note of company culture, so sometimes on video calls, for example, it's awkward to unmute yourself just to say, yep, I agree, in response to someone's announcement. And likewise, in emails, a lot of people detest the simple okay or thanks response emails. But in Slack, you can use emoji responses to show that you received a message, even if there isn't any sort of comment you need to make. KK Clapp, director of content at the repair site iFixit, told Wired, quote, As a manager, nothing's worse than dropping a perfectly crafted message into Slack and getting back crickets. A checkmark emoji makes it easy for me to see that the team has read my administrative updates. As a human, emoji reactions are a nice reminder that your coworkers are still listening and engaged. End quote. 
And now for tips to help you reduce notifications or other annoyances that you're on the receiving end of. First, you can adjust the notification settings for each channel. You can mute channels, have them only notify you when someone adds you or mentions certain keywords. You can also adjust overall Slack settings, like the Do Not Disturb function, which you can program to set at the same time every single day. For example, during non-work hours, so you won't even be tempted to reply to something when you're out of the office. A few final notes, your company probably has or is developing certain rules and community guidelines for using Slack. Make sure you read those and are following them. I mean, no one wants to have to narc on you, but there's nothing more frustrating than watching someone flagrantly go against the norms that everyone else agreed to adhering to. And don't forget that this is a public platform. You know, even your DMs are technically company property in a way. Those of us who grew up using instant message platforms socially might have a tendency to become a bit more informal on these platforms, even when we know it's a professional setting. So curb those tendencies as much as you can and stay diligent about professionalism. And remember that it's not the only way to communicate with your coworkers. Emails and good old-fashioned phone calls still exist and sometimes are the more effective tool. The mask debate in America is waging on and spreading to other parts of the world as well. And listen, this is the good news ride home. And while that's a loose definition at the best of times, I still don't want to get into the mask controversies explicitly. Instead, I want to take a look back at history and what happened the last time people were asked to wear masks for public health in the United States. The 1918 flu epidemic. I don't know if this will make you hopeful or more cynical to know that we've been here before, but it's at least pretty interesting. I mean, this quote from the New York Times is almost uncanny. Quote, In 1918 and 1919, as bars, saloons, restaurants, theaters, and schools were closed, masks became a scapegoat, a symbol of government overreach, inspiring protests, petitions, and defiant bareface gatherings, all the while thousands of Americans were dying in a deadly pandemic. End quote. The first U.S. infections were identified in March 1918, and by the fall, seven U.S. cities had enacted mandatory mask laws. In San Francisco, the first U.S. hotspot, face coverings had to be at least four layers thick. Dr. Howard Markle, a historian of epidemics and the author of the book Quarantine, with an exclamation point, notes that opposition to masks wasn't super common, at least not at first. But it did exist, and it grew the longer the pandemic wore on. By 1919, when the pandemic was heading into its second year, people even formed an anti-mask league. Now, anti-maskers may not have been super common at first, but they were vocal, at least in the archival materials that we have. They accused masks of being uncomfortable, infringing on their freedom, and just plain looking weird. They called them muzzles, said they looked like pig snouts, or, quote, nine ordinary slabs of ravioli arranged in a square. People put them on their dogs to mock the mandates, and some even cut holes in the mask to smoke through. One journalist, Alma Whitaker, writing in the LA Times the same month that the flu killed 195,000 Americans, made fun of the masks at length. And beyond that article, she refused to wear one herself and was then, quote, forcibly taken to the Red Cross as a slacker and ordered to make one and put it on, end quote. It's not clear how many other people got frog-marched to the Red Cross to make and don their own mask, but there were other set penalties, which ranged from 5 to $10 or 10 days imprisonment. But that didn't quite pan out because so many people were arrested. 
quoting the New York Times. On November 9th, 1,000 people were arrested, the San Francisco Chronicle reported. City prisons swelled to standing room only. Police shifts and court sessions were added to help manage. Where is your mask, Judge Matthew Brady asked offenders at the Hall of Justice, where sessions dragged into night. Some gave fake names, said they just wanted to light a cigar, or that they hated following laws. End quote. In November of 1918, Los Angeles held a public forum to decide whether or not to implement a mask mandate. We'll never know if it was as wild as the one in Palm Beach that was so filled with conspiracy theorists and passionate misinformation peddlers that several people edited it over footage of a town hall from the TV show Parks and Rec. But even back in 1918, there were people opposing the masks because they were, quote, mere dirt and dust traps that do more harm than good, end quote. One unexpected group who were opposed to masks, at least unexpected for me, suffragettes. Probably not all of them, but at least a delegation of them in Illinois, as reported by the Chicago Daily Tribune. They were resistant to the idea of covering their mouths at a time when their voices needed to be heard the most. Which, alright, that's a fine figure of speech, but not so much something to live or die over. Women were also the initial instigators behind the Anti-Mask League, which was founded following San Francisco's reinstitution of their mask mandate at the very end of 1918. It was founded by E.J. Harrington, a lawyer and political opponent of the San Francisco mayor, as well as six other women. Men joined as well, many of them the leaders of unions or from the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, those who had voted against the reinstitution. And quoting the New York Times, They united behind demands for the repeal of the mask ordinance and for the resignations of the mayor and health officials. Their objections included lack of scientific evidence that masks worked and the idea that forcing people to wear the coverings was unconstitutional. On January 27th, the League protested at a Board of Supervisors meeting, but the mayor held his ground. There were hisses and cries of freedom and liberty, end quote. The mayor did end up repealing the mask mandate when cases decreased a few weeks later, but soon a third wave of the flu hit the city and the nation. Quoting again, the final death toll reached an estimated 675,000 nationwide, or 30 for every 1,000 people in San Francisco making it one of the worst-hit cities in America, end quote. Now, I know that we shouldn't compare what's happening now so closely to the 1918 pandemic. They were different in many ways, and comparing our present or future to history is never the most productive thing to do. But I do find it fascinating how many small acts and sentiments from then are mirrored today. And it wasn't just the reaction to masks. There were a number of other strategies employed back then that some people seem to have trouble believing or sticking to now. Large gatherings were canceled. Windows were instructed to be open for better ventilation. Anything that could happen outside did, even government proceedings. And even at the Chicago Suffragette Convention, where they were all so opposed to masks, they set up all of their chairs four feet apart and limited the number of attendees. It always kind of blows my mind when people claim something happening now is brand new or wrong in some way, when in fact it's happened before or existed for generations. And I don't know if knowing that would change anyone's opinion right now, because as we heard, people opposed masks back then too. But for me at least, it helps remind me that the world is bigger than just this moment we're living through. It helps to feel a kinship with our ancestors, to learn what their struggles were and what their triumphs were to think that we too can get through this.
That is all for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird. I hope you all have a good and safe rest of your day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.